I've been preaching around 50 years now. And every message that I've preached is what our Lord gave us for his church. But he's never given me a message like this today. If your toes get stepped on it, it might have got stepped on it earlier. And because today's message, Satan's favorite religion. It's the uh, one of the first issues in the Bible. There are those that say that it's the first doctrine, but it's not the first doctrine. The first doctrine is creation. But this comes right behind it, and I think we could say this is the first issue. Found in, in Genesis chapter 3, and it's who should I worship? Remember the first uh, t- uh, temptation beginning with these words, yea, has God said. Remember that the answer was in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the most clever of all the animals. And he said to the woman, did God really tell you that you may not eat of any tree in the the garden? Satan's appeal was, if you eat this from this tree, you shall be as God. The uh, I think the Hebrew says you will be God. If you do eat from this tree, you will become God-like. So this title, Satan's favorite religion, is right out of the scriptures. But first, let us pray. Father, help us today. If we ever needed you, we need you now. We pray that you'd help us today to reflect on your word. Amen. Let's go to the passage of Isaiah chapter 14. This is the key. This is its arrogance. It is most appealing, almost appealing, and it's very disturbing. And the question is, the, the, the question, and it begins with a question. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Do you, do you see that the text begins with a question? Satan, how did you, how did you get from the, the side of God to this sinful planet? He was the cherub that covers. Satan's huge wings were so large he could cast them over the very presence of God. And he lived daily in the very majesty and presence of God. How did you fall so far? In the Bible, in the text, it explains what, why he fell so far. It was false religion. Verse 13, you have said in your heart, where did this religion start? It started in the heart. It's a heart problem. 
It's a hard problem. Well, what was the what was the the poison? What was the insidious nectar in this fruit? Here it is. I will ascend into heaven and exalt my throne above the stars. Here it is. I will also set on the mount of the north, on the mount of the congregation, on the farther sides of the north, and I will ascend to the to the altar above the above the stars of the clouds. And your mind is shocked back to Genesis chapter three. You shall be as gods, you shall be like the most high. You see it? Satan's favorite religion is self. Satan's favorite religion is self. He founded the, he founded the church in heaven. He started the great revival crusades because all the angels at this time before this problem started, they all belonged to the same church. They, they worship God. They were all members of the same church. And then this thing happened. This thing happened. And we'll go to Ezekiel chapter 28. 28th chapter will give us a better insight. We have the famous allegory. It appears to be talking about the king of Tyre. But as the prophecy unfolds, we see that it's truly talking. It wasn't talking about the king of, of, of Tyre. We know how it's not, the, it's not the king of Tyre because it says, you were the seal, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You, you, you worship Eden and the garden of God. This is a description of Satan himself. Now, what happened in verse 15 of Isaiah 14? You were, you were perfect in your ways. Do you see, do you see it from the day that they were, that he was created until wickedness was found in him? Now, listen to me. All of us at one time in our life had blown to that church. All of us at one time in our life have belonged to that church. If you ever come to the place, you say, yes, I know the Bible says this, but when you say but, you just join Satan's church. Or it could be maybe a statement like this. I know the Bible says that, but I know my heart. You are a member of Satan's church. It could be anything. Someone said, well, yeah, I, another one, I don't see, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think, you know, I don't, don't, don't see anything. I know the Bible says that, but, but I just think it's a little bit too, too strict, don't you? You are a member of Satan's church. It started the moment that you questioned God's word. The, the word of God, you have joined Satan's church. The worship of self, the uh, uh, our opinions, our feelings, our ideals, the the most popular church on planet Earth 
is this church, the, the Satan's church, the church of self. Catholics are in it. Baptists are in it. Seventh-day Adventists are in it. It is the underlying religion of the meat, M-E-E-T, religion. We posture with the Bible. We posture with, with, with hymns. We posture with church attendance. We posture with t- paying our tithes. And we posture sitting in church and saying amen when we're really members of Satan's church. Anything that is said that rubs against that, that or clashes against that mental vein that we have got, this will tell you what church you belong to. So the result is, is iniquity. You fall. You fall. You join the church, and you're going to fall. Join the church called self, and you have just gotten on a sled, and the sled, the direction of that sled is downward. It's downward. That's no great statement. That's no great statement. That's no, that's no profound theology. Self cannot save you. Self cannot save you. Self can entertain you. Self can make you f- feel good. Self can, can, uh, uh, replace your ego. But self cannot save you. Self cannot save you. And ask Adam and Eve, standing before God buck naked, their, their, their protection has been taken away from them from, from the Lord. And the cold chill of sin caresses their broad shoulders. But when you, but when you, they found out that when you decide to put yourself before God, you wind up with nothing. You wind up with nothing. Daniel chapter 2 verse 37. Remember the image? Nebuchadnezzar was given an image. And the, the Lord used Daniel to, to interpret this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had. And it's God that is speaking through Nebuchadnezzar, or speaking through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. You king, O king, are the king of kings for, for thy, for the great God of heaven has given you a, a kingdom of power, strength, and glory. The image was God's. The image was God's appeal to Nebuchadnezzar to come out of Satan's church. Nebuchadnezzar, who was pompous, he was full of pride and self. And, and, and I don't believe he really heard anything that, that Daniel said. When Daniel was explaining the, the, the image to him, he got to the head, I'm the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, he controlled, he, he conquered nations. A, uh, the very name of the man and with the, uh, caused people to tremble with fear. But God gives him and speaks to him and he said, and, and lets him know that it is God that is speaking to him. Then he was, that he was the head of gold. God has said, I am talking to you, Nebuchadnezzar. 
I want you to know that you are the, you are the head of gold. And I don't think Nebuchadnezzar went any further than that. He knew that Daniel was explaining this, uh, image to him. But when he got to head of gold, Daniel, I could just see Nebuchadnezzar said, head of gold. Yeah, I'm, go on, go on, Daniel, go on. I'm the head of gold. I'm the head of gold. And what happened? He built an image. Why didn't he build that image the way that God had given it to him? First, what was it? Gold. What was next? Silver. Bronze. And iron. And iron of Mar- and Mara clay. But Nebuchadnezzar, when he built the image, what was it? It was all gold. Why did, why did he build an image, have an image built of all gold instead of what God had given him? He was preserving himself. He was saying, I will not be replaced by silver. I will not be replaced by bronze. I will not be replaced by, by, by iron. I will rule forever. I will rule forever. So the, so the image was Nebuchadnezzar's resistance, resistance to leave, to, to leave Satan's church. That was his resistance to leave Satan's church. This is why he built the head of gold. I will, he said, I want everybody to worship me. Don't talk about Nebuchadnezzar. If you're the type of person that sat in, an, in, a, in, a, in a business meeting or a business meeting or a church or a church board meeting and you want everything to go your way, you're the smartest, you're the brightest, and no one else, you, no one else really has anything to say. I know everything. I know what this church means. I am so smart. I am so proud. You are a member of Satan's church. That is self. That is self. And when you are, when you're married, husband or wife, and you just want to, to be, take total control of everything, sometimes it has to be maybe not Alzheimer's patient, but I'm talking about when two people are perfectly all right, but one, he has total control. He won't, or she does. Listen, don't, don't talk about Nebuchadnezzar. Because you, you belong to the same church. I remember my wife said to me, she, my late wife said to me, Glenn, she asked me a simple question. And I said, uh, you should know better than that. And she looked at me and kind of smiled as I remember. And she said, honey, you've been in this church, in this message twice as long as I have. And you expect me to know as much as you do. I said, ouch. I said, I am sorry, because I see myself as a candidate for Satan's church. Don't talk about Nebuchadnezzar because you're both members of the same church. We reveal images to ourselves every day, wanting our ideals, our thoughts, our thoughts to be worshipped by others. Bow down to me. They tried to change the Bible. They tried to change the Bible. The future, the future, I will, will not, I will, it will, it will not be replaced. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the first thing that happens when you're saved, 
first thing that happens when you're saved is death. Death. That's the first thing. Throughout the Bible, which it's the Bible, uh, John the Baptist preaches repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Paul preached repentance. Repentance is death to self and alive to Jesus Christ. I, I told my prayer partner, I said, you know, I would like to come into church someday and find every member in my church dead. I would hate to see someone walk in the church right now. And he would say, I must be in Jim Jones' church, and they're going to be passing out the Kool-Aid pretty soon. I'm going to get out of here. But I'm talking about the death of self. I'm talking about the, 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 what the Apostle Paul was talking about. That's in Galatians 22.20, I think. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. I think the first business, or the first basic step of salvation is when you realize that you are the most unworthy person in your life. Until we die, we cannot, we cannot live. That's the Bible. That's the truth of the Bible. He's got to step on you sometime. Sometimes you have to be, you have to be brutalized. He's got to, he's got to destroy you. In the 1960s, in my imagination, uh, this is symbolic, of course, as, as, as I can see the Lord. I'm on the altar, and he has, a, as, as Abraham did over Isaac, he has a knife there. He has to destroy me. He said, I have to kill you. I have to kill that old self before that I can live in you. Until we die, you cannot, you cannot live. That's a Bible. That's a Bible. He's got to step on you. He's got to brutalize you sometime. And he had to put me totally lifeless on a bed, and this is where that, where that it happened that I really come to see Jesus and know Jesus is when I died to self. And unless you do that, you will always be in the way of God's salvation. Let's go to another one. Daniel chapter 6, verse 7. What if they had a 30-day Revival based around you. Satan's favorite religion is can be very enticing. Be very enticing. You say a lot of that. There was a day that there was a day in history that when this church loved to throw people in in the line and lines den. Lord, pray for me. And it's alarming in Daniel six. All the administrators. All the administrators, the officers, went to King Darius and said, Long live King Darius. Verse 7. We are all in agreement. All of us in agreement. Your administrators, officers, high officials, and governors. We are all in, a, in agreement that you should set, set aside a 30-day period where no one prays. If anyone prays to... to any divine God or human, except to you, your majesty, for 30 days they will be thrown in the lion's den. And you know, Darius wasn't a bad sort of 
a person. He loved Daniel. He, lo- he loved Daniel. And uh, so he wasn't thinking it was a trick because they absolutely didn't like Daniel because Darius had given him to charge over them and they just could not, did not like the idea that this Hebrew was in charge of them. So they went ahead and wrote up this papers that it would go into effect. And uh, they told him, they remember, and they remember the Meds and Persians, their laws could not be changed. Their laws could not be changed. They reminded Darius again, anyone that prays to any God except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. That is, that's in, uh, very appealing, isn't it? Very appealing. And there are those in churches that are very good at casting people into lion's dens. You cross me, you cross me, you should, you should agree with me. There are some Doris, of course he was tricked, but there are some Dorises in the church that are saying, bow down to me. Verse 9, King, King Doris, and they, they went ahead and he went ahead and signed it when they brought it to him. He just wasn't thinking for some reason. He didn't think of his, of his friend Daniel. They were trying to find something wrong with him. So these men went as a group and found, I think they already knew what he was doing, and found Daniel praying. And this was his custom. He prayed three times a day. And he went to, he went to King, uh, King Darius and he said to him, did you not publish a degree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to God or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? This is a two-part message. God has given me that kind of message for the church lately. He's seemed like the last few, I believe, has been two-parters. Because he's given me so much, and I believe that I could even preach more on what he's what he's given me. I think I could hold talk two or three more hours on this very subject. But I want to say this in closing, uh, in closing part one. This is what the enemy can do. I was a young Christian, probably three or four years. I was in a church of over four hundred members, probably. And they, and I was personal ministers leader of that church. You know, that's the same position that Christina has in, in this church, personal ministers leader. And we had a, a banquet. I'm not going to go on into illustration about this, but, uh, it's, we made the other churches look like tiddlywinks. It was a victory celebration and as a victory, in the work of the church, and as a personal ministry's leader, I was chosen as a host. The conference was there. After I gave my presentation, they come up and they said, we would like for you to come to Camp Mohaven and give this presentation to a pastor's and elder's retreat. It's the same type of meeting that that Daniel and Micah and some are going to today. And uh, 
So I, I did what? I gave it, and the union conference was there. And they came to me, and they said, could we have your notes? I gave them my notes, and it was published in one of our magazines, happened to be the the featured article in the magazine. People in my community in Cincinnati, they some read it, and they started calling me to come to speak to them. I remember my pastor said, Glenn, tell them about Jesus. And I said, I don't know anything else to talk about, Pastor. But as we, when I mentioned this, this is about God, the power of God. It's not about me. All i done was give them what, share with them what God has shared me. And my head began to, began to uh, swell. But there is, the, and the only, the, the only antidote for that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I, di- I didn't stop reading the Bible. My head was swell. I thought I'd do everything. But as I continued to read, the more I come to know Jesus, the more I fell like a swamp at the edge of a majestic mountain. Because Jesus, when you study his loyalty, his love for each one of us, there's no room for self. There's absolutely no room for self. So today I would just, and next week we're going to talk about the victory that can be won in that. And it's the hardest victory that we'll ever fight. Martin Luther, the, a great re- reformer of the Protestant message, he said, I am... I fear myself more than I fear the Pope and all of his cardinals. My favorite author in the book Steps to Christ, she said it's the hardest fight that we'll ever, that we'll ever fight. It's something that we will have to wrestle with every day of our life. But I have discovered myself, if I can meet with Jesus every morning, and the more I see him, by beholding you will become the same image. And dear hearts, there's no room. There's absolutely no room for self. Self must die. And it's a fight that we'll always have. But when you see Jesus, if we're having a problem with self and continue to, to have it, I know the temptation that will come to you. But if we're continuing to have that problem, it's because we don't, do not know Jesus as it is our privilege to know him. Anytime that we're in church and we think that I'm the smartest, I'm the one that, that in a meeting, I'm the one that, that has all the information. I know what's needed here. They pay no attention to anyone else. That's self. That's self. Self has to die. Self has to die. Jesus has no competition. He will not have a chance of this starting in the heavenly kingdom again. We talked about heaven this morning. I'm looking forward to it. It will be a kingdom where everybody has died of self. Jesus is victorious in every life. That is something to look forward to. What a beautiful picture is our Lord. Father, may the Holy Spirit just help us to see him maybe in a way that we've never seen him before. Father, again, as we continue to dwell upon you, your great love that you have for each one of us, the plans that you have for our future, Father, help us to see you. And if we see you as we should, we'll come to love you like we've never loved you before. Then there will be no room for self.
We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.